Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The FT. Welcome to World Weekly with me, Ben Hall. On the show this week, we'll be looking at Europe's response to Russia's summary annexation of Crimea, the first such grab for sovereign territory by a European nation since the Second World War. President Vladimir Putin's move has prompted outrage in European capitals, and the muscular tone of his speech to the Duma on Tuesday will have triggered some alarm about Russian intentions. But Europe's response so far seems timid as governments weigh their economic interests with standing up to Russian aggression. Joining me down the line from Brussels is Peter Spiegel, the FT's Brussels Bureau Chief, and with me in the studio is Neil Buckley, the FT's East Europe Editor. Neil, can I start with you? How alarmed should Europeans be about what's happened in the last few weeks? Well, I think we're seeing a a fundamentally different approach by Russia in the last few weeks. It's clear that this is more than just a response to what's happened in Ukraine, where, of course, Russia sees what happened as being a kind of Western-sponsored coup that toppled Viktor Yanukovych. That's not actually what happened, but that's how they see it. That seems to have been, in a sense, a final straw in a whole series of resentments that have been building up among the Moscow leadership over a period of many years. And you saw those pouring out in Vladimir Putin's speech yesterday, and also the sort of the, the mood of a celebration among the political elite who were gathered there listening to that speech at what they saw as uh, as the beginning of a kind of fight back by Russia. So I think it's 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 clear we're into a different phase now, which poses lots of challenges to the West over how to respond. It's also very clear that the sanctions that were passed on Monday by the EU and the US have had little or no effect whatsoever. So it's clear we have to look at stepping those up. But I also think that some kind of diplomatic engagement with Russia is very important, however difficult, painful that might be. However much the West might not want to do that, given the way Mr. Putin has behaved, I still think there is a big need now for big international diplomacy, as well as the sanctions. What's the intention, though? Is it to push somehow the Russians out of Crimea and revert to the status quo ante? Or is it to stop Russian incursions into the east and the wider destabilization of Ukraine? I think it's only the latter now. I think the, the possibility of Russia moving out of Crimea or, or giving up Crimea again is, is now zero. We've, we've seen Mr. Putin sign the agreement with the new leadership of Crimea to great jubilation from his political audience and Russians more generally. And the Russian media have made an enormous issue of this. So clearly, they're not going to give it back. I think I think Crimea is now lost. I think the issue now is retaining the territorial integrity of the rest of continental Ukraine and ensuring that Russian forces do not go into the east. And I think whatever Mr. Putin said yesterday, the, the danger of them going into the east remains very real. I think the West is underestimating this. The financial markets are underestimating this because winning Crimea doesn't deliver Mr. Putin's goal. His goal as he hinted at quite clearly in his speech yesterday, is to ensure no NATO membership for Ukraine. 
and potentially to complicate or slow Ukraine's future integration with the European Union as well. Peter, how do you assess the European appetite for taking a a strong stance on this that would actually have consequences? Well, as per usual with the EU, it it depends on who you ask. Uh, You know, we have very strong lines being advocated by the Brits in particular, the Eastern Europeans, the Swedes, this coalition that has been brought together over the course of the last two weeks uh, on on the cutting edge of of, of the sanctions debate. But, you know, look, they can only move it in unanimity. And, And the fact of the matter is there are several countries, the Spanish, the Italians, who are very reluctant, and yet again, the whole focus of the debate is going to be on Germany. And, and what we've seen, basically, is a gradual shift in German thinking. We've had, at the start of the crisis, I think a traditional, a mercantile, commercially focused policy where Germany looked at its interests and said, you know, we get a huge percentage of our energy from Gazprom. We are a big trading partner of Russia. We cannot jeopardize that. But over the course of the last 10 days, two weeks, We've seen a much more geopolitical thinking coming out of Berlin, in which they they have, I think, acknowledged that this is to pose a threat now to the post-war international order, and there are longer-term goals that we need to pursue, not just narrowly focused nation-state-based economic interests. So I think we're seeing a shift. Now, whether they can carry that to a point where we get a a much more harder-line response is, is another issue altogether. I think what we're likely to see is, you know, more names added to the sanctions list for asset freezes, and, and visa bans, but I think we do stop there. And I, as Neil suggested, I think we're likely not to see the full scale, what one diplomat called economic war to me this morning. You know, I, I think we're not likely to see that unless we see an actual incursion into the rest of eastern Ukraine. Do you think that there really is the appetite to impose really tough financial and economic sanctions, even if that happens? You know, it, it, it's interesting. It's been the, the subject of, of debate amongst not only reporters here, but certainly diplomats themselves. And, and you've heard rather heated discussions, you know, that occurred behind closed doors about this very topic. The fact of the matter is, at an EU summit this week, over dinner, EU leaders will discuss this very fact. They will debate this. So it's gone from the issue of theoretical to the possible. And I think if you would ask me two weeks ago whether I thought they would have gone this far, I would have said no. But the fact they are actually going to debate this very issue both A, what the triggers are to go to a full-scale economic sanctions, and then B, what those might look like, and, and actually even go drill down country by country what the economic interests are at stake, tells me that they are willing to go in that direction if eastern Ukraine does become a subject of a military incursion. Neil, do you think there's merit in this sort of graduated approach, visa bans, asset freezes, and then maybe more visa bans and more asset freezes? I mean, it looks like timidity, but perhaps there are tactics involved. I think there is uh, merit in a, in a graduated approach. I think uh, you, you can't use all your measures at once and just go straight to, to the, the maximalist approach. I think it has to be phased. I think it has to be made clear to Russia that depending on the next steps it takes, it will face potentially escalating sanctions. But I do think that those sanctions that are threatened have to be serious and they have to be credible. And I don't think that going after individuals has had much effect or will have much effect. When the US passed its Magnitsky list, or even before it passed its Magnitsky list, which sanctioned some individuals, Mr. Putin had ordered senior Russian officials to repatriate assets that they held abroad to make them less vulnerable to these kind of sanctions. And so I, I think actually what was done on Monday will have had very little impact at all. And the lists didn't actually target some of the key players who are closest to uh, the Russian president.
Is President Putin concerned about the prospect of tough financial and economic sanctions or, or, or the people around him? It's very difficult for us to judge. I think it is giving some pause for thought. But on the other hand, what we're hearing from Moscow and from sources and senior officials is that um, Mr. Putin and the inner circle have weighed these risks and have decided that Ukraine is such a red line issue. In fact, in an article today, one one very well-connected foreign policy analyst said it's not just a red line issue, it's a double solid white line issue that they are prepared to take a very significant hit over this. And the Russian media uh, really is preparing Russians for this and preparing Russians for a kind of confrontation with the West over this, which is um, quite worrying. Peter, can I come back to you? Do you think the Europeans are in a very different place from the Americans in terms of responding with or by causing economic pain to, to Russia? Yeah, absolutely. And we've seen this throughout. And, and to be honest with you, I think the view here in Europe is the Americans are being quite unfair in this regard. They, they can be rather bellicose and, and, and push through much more serious sanctions with very little impact on their own domestic economy. I mean, the, the trade ties between Russia and the U.S., particularly on energy, are just you know, minuscule compared to that between the EU and, and Russia. So I, I think there is a bit of Mars and Venus going on here. Although, to be honest with you, despite the, the heated rhetoric you hear out of Washington, the measures they've taken have not been, they haven't gone after Putin's tightest inner circle. They haven't gone for uh, financial sanctions. They've gone very similar lists as to what the Europeans have had. I would do one more point on this, because I think it, when we get into sort of the, the, the details of sanctions, it's important to make some distinctions here. It is true that thus far it has been a very narrow list and, and rather unimportant figures that have been targeted. But I think looking at Iran uh, is instructive, because there is a tendency now, I think, in, in many circles to belittle the ability of economic sanctions to, to drive international policy. And what we saw in Iran is that you can actually craft these very carefully and don't have to do full-bore trade war sanctions to have an effect on an an opponent's foreign policy. And I think there are tools in the Western toolbox that fall short of full-scale economic war that could be brought to bear that gets to do with kind of these things that, that, you know, that sometimes go unnoticed. Economic plumbing. If if Russian companies want to do business in dollars or want to do business in euros and want to be connected to the international financial systems, there are ways to target that specifically to to ratchet up the pressure that is is, is short of full-bore economic sanctions. So I I think those who say that there is no tools in the Western toolbox are underestimating the extent to which they've gotten much more clever about how to use economic sanctions to bring pressure to bear on an adversary. Neil, did you have a final thought on that point? Yeah, I think um, if we do want to have an impact on Russia, then economic sanctions are are important. But I think we also have to be very careful that uh, if they are sanctions which end up hitting ordinary Russians, there is a danger that this could fuel resentments uh, in Russia. We're seeing just the extent to which the Russian leadership now can control the media message which um, ordinary Russians are receiving. And if they are convinced that you know they're being they're being hurt economically by the West, and this is all part of some great plot, then that could further fuel um, nationalist sentiments within Russia right now. But the media can fan that. So I think there has to be a great deal of thought given to exactly how these sanctions are targeted and calibrated. And that's it for this week. My thanks to Peter Spiegel in Brussels and Neil Buckley here in London. World Weekly is produced by Katie Carney. Till next week. Goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.